Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 323. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacey. That is at StaceyFatton89 on Twitter. Stacey, how are you doing on this uh, Monday morning? Uh, doing pretty well. Just had a vegan egg and cheese, so uh, good way to start the week. Nice, healthy breakfast of champions, uh, as I like to call it. Uh, oh, I'm on the new James Harden diet. So. <laughs> the soon-to-come James Harden yeah, diet. He's been on that diet. Uh, before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that The Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strickland on Instagram. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you haven't done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise, which you can find on our website at www.thestrick.land. Uh, you can find all kinds of shit on there. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, even water bottles. You name it, we've got it. Again, check that out on our website. The Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a six-star tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland's podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. the Doug Bag, that comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the mix even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings and merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you, and none of this would be possible without Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Um, and we are going to talk about plenty of basketball today, but I guess we should start with uh, the most current possible NBA news, uh, which was... James Harden in China uh, saying that he would never play for an organization uh, ran or associated or involving Daryl Morey ever again. Um, I think this is like pretty funny, to be honest. Um, And I hate doing this, but like, I actually kind of agree with Harden. Like, it seems pretty obvious to me that he was promised a contract and then Maury reneged on the contract after, like, he took a pay cut for him last summer. And so, you know, I know, yes, it's not legal to agree to that type of shit, but, if, I mean, let's be real. Like, it obviously happened, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't want to say I'm, like, sympathetic to Harden, but I do kind of agree with him um, if that is what happened, and I I mean, I don't see any reason why Harden would have taken a pay cut last summer unless that was the agreed-upon arrangement. And, um, you know, I I kind of understand that. Yeah, I mean, 
But that that's the thing, right? That I think I forget if it was Bestany who tweeted this or someone was saying, you know, if 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 there was actually a bold faced lie, right, told to Harden, um, you know, that that's that's something that maybe the players association gets gets involved with, right? Um, maybe it's not technically letter of the law illegal, but you know negotiating in bad faith, like that's a road you probably don't want to go down. Um the other, but if it's a situation where, you know, Harden wanted to stay in Philadelphia and he didn't feel like they made enough moves or whatever, or they didn't give enough help, that would be a little bit. So, I mean, I guess, like, what do you think? Like, how? What do you think actually went down? What do you mean? Like, what do you think that conversation was between Harden and like when he opted out? I think it was like, hey, take a little less money here this year. We'll make sure that we give you the max next summer, or we will give you the max next summer, or whatever the conversation. I mean, that's more or less what I presume the conversation was because James Harden's been pretty consistently about his money during his career. Maury has he's extended him a few times in Houston before he even hit free agency. Uh, he did one of those renegotiate and extend deals with him. Uh, I don't know why that would change. He passed up on a five-year extension with the Nets to kind of force their hand to trade him into Philly. You know, he was eligible for a five-year extension last summer, and he took, obviously, the one-plus-one deal that he ended up opting into this year uh, to kind of help them out and to create cap space or whatever space under the apron or however the fuck you want to phrase it to bring in P.J. Tucker and, you know, fucking Daniel House and... Yeah, I mean, that's what I think happened. I, I don't really, I, I personally don't really feel like it's that ambiguous. I, I think it's stupid that that there are people that are like, well, if that's what happened. I mean, that's what fucking happened. Okay, I, I, I just don't really see why that's something. So do you think, but do you think Harden's performance maybe over the last year could have warranted a change? Or do you think Maury just from the beginning had no intention of giving him a max? I think it changed. I think because of his various struggles throughout the year, I think it changed. I don't think it was like, oh, he was never planning on it. I think it changed. Because why would you want to... If he was playing really well, you'd just offer him the And max for what and it's worth, he put up, it. what, 20 and 10 last year? Um, so it's not like... Yeah. Um, it's not like... He, and he played well with Embiid, and, and they got to the second round. They got to Game 7 against Boston. So it wasn't a disaster. Um, but, um, but I mean, do you think then, like, if Maury can argue that I, I was assuming that he would play better, that we would do better when I made that commitment, do you think that, um, that alleviates some of the blame from, from, uh, Maury? Do, does it alleviate the blame that, that, like, it, I mean, you're saying, does it alleviate the blame that Harden played worse? And no, like, the, does that soften the, this idea that Maury lied to him, right? If Maury said, I was, I would, Maury can say, right, like, I wanted to give you a max last year. I didn't think your performance this season was up to my expectations when I made that commitment. So, I mean, is that a reasonable position or do you think still, you know, that's... I mean, I think it's a reasonable position. I also think that's like, you know, I mean, I understand Implicit. business is business, but... It's kind of one of those things where you're like, well, okay, business is business, but 
if you make a promise, like it's kind of one of those. What does he say in Jerry Maguire? My my word is as strong as oak. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those right where it's like, all right, well, is it though? Like, and and honestly, it doesn't really matter what Maury feels. It matters what perception is, and like, I often think a lot of like what. Oh, this is a terrible look for T Max or whatever is bullshit. Like, I, I just don't think that stuff matters as often as it gets kind of like discussed um, in media and by fans and all that type of stuff. But like, I think this is pretty bad. Like, you got, I mean, whatever we think of James Harden, I think James Harden has a pretty high standing among his peers in the NBA. Uh, he seems pretty well liked by his teammates, despite all of his really. I mean, did. Didn't he not get along well with, like, Kyrie and KD? Okay. Kyrie. I mean, come on. I don't think KD had any issue with it. KD is, like, on this fucking, oh, you know, everybody's got to do what they got to do thing. I don't think, I, I could care less if he didn't get along with Kyrie. I mean, who gives a fuck? Um, he didn't get along with Chris Paul because of play style stuff. But for the most part, I think most of his teammates and just people on the NBA are, like, whatever their issues are with him, he's a fucking all-star player. He's an all-NBA player. He's been an MVP. When and he's obviously somebody who has been tied to Maury throughout his career. You know they have had a very strong and lengthy partnership uh, in Houston, and then obviously now in Philly, he took a pay cut to help Maury out to bring in a couple guys, and for him to say basically like Maury's a liar, and I'll not be in, like play for an organization he's involved with or whatever the exact verbiage was. But basically calling him a liar twice, I mean, that says everything to me. I just don't think that's a great look for Maury. And quite honestly, if I'm ownership of Philly, I would be like, look, we might want to get rid of Harden anyway. That that could be like uh, a decision we've already, like, we feel like just has to happen. But I think it has to really, you have to really consider, like, is Daryl Maury the guy you want leading this franchise? Because, again, like, I, I don't, generally i or i sorry i generally feel like this stuff is stupid when we're like oh my god how can they ever bring in talent when nobody like i actually think this is kind of a problem i mean yeah i mean had, well, yeah here's the question right if they do trade Harden, and let's say a meat ass out after a year or something right if you're going to do a rebuild um you know and you, you do the whole taking on bad contracts Maury would seem to, then your priority is probably less on attracting talent. Maury, you would think, would be you know that is in his wheelhouse, right? Perhaps more than managing, you know, this kind of a roster. So you would think that might be reason to keep him, right? A reason to keep Maury? Well, if Harden, if if this whole thing blows up, right? Let's say Embiid demands out, then the Sixers are probably entering a rebuild, right? Hmm. And that is, you know, that's what Maury has been reasonably good at, right? Is, you know, the whole taking on draft picks, um, you know, they're taking on bad salary, getting draft picks. You would think that that would be a reason to keep him, right? Or maybe he resigns because he's like, I'm not interested. In I mean, does he want know. to rebuild? I don't know if he wants to rebuild. And I don't know if, I mean, he hasn't rebuilt in like, I don't yeah, know, like a fucking a decade Since plus they got now. hardened, like, right? Yes, that's what twenty twelve. Rockets, yeah. So it's or he did, yeah twenty twelve. Like I, I don't know. I, I maybe he's still good at it. Maybe he wants to. I don't really think he wants to rebuild, and I don't really think I would 
necessarily trust him to rebuild, but I guess, I mean, I'd probably trust him to, like, deal Harden, and then that's about it. But, like, I, I would probably be done with him after that point, because I also think the part that makes this tricky, though, is, like, one, you're just not going to get good value for Harden. Like, it, it, you're just not. And and he can sit there and play hardball if he wants, and that's cool, but, like, Harden's an expiring contract. He's not getting more valuable. He just it's not going to happen. He's what 35. Like he's not getting more valuable over the course of the season. People know what James Harden is. People know that he wears out his welcome increasingly fast. It seems wherever he goes and they know like everything about Harden is stuff. We know his playoff ups and downs, let's call them his willingness or his, his desire to go to, gentlemen's establishments and all these type of things like we all know exactly what who and what james harden is and he's not going to get better he's 35 years old like he's at very much on the downward trajectory of his career um so i don't think he's going to get value for him and the bigger problem that is a trickle down of that is like how do you keep joel Embiid healthy um you know i just i, I don't know and joel Embiid wants to win a championship if he's not going to win a champion, or if he doesn't think he has a chance to win a championship, I, I mean, you don't have to trade him because he's got two years left in his contract, but it's one of those situations where it's like, well, how are you constructing a championship roster with the things at your disposal um, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. You're trading hard in for probably pennies on the dollar, and then what do you have to put talent around Embiid and I guess Maxi, if you want to include Maxi as part of like as a core piece, like oh, do you really have enough to do that? I don't think so. So, yeah, and uh, do you? I guess the question is, um, I mean, do you expect that Harden just isn't going to show up at this point? I mean, <laughs> I know you're not, you don't know James Harden or anything, but it sounds pretty firm that he's like, it's like he's telling the organization to choose between him and Moria at this point, um, or take you know a very poor deal. Um, I guess so. One question I would have: I haven't read too much of the language. I know people have posted it. If it was proven that Maury promised him a max, right, and they had some kind of agreement, does that change at all? Or could that change? You know, Harden getting penalized for for not showing up to work or something. Uh, I mean, there is a penalty. Like, if he doesn't show up during the season or whatever at all then he wouldn't be able to hit free agency next year. It's just how it works. I don't know the exact specific details of his contract. Yeah. It'd be interesting but, if he could argue that I was misled. Um, I don't think he can argue that because that's just literally not a legal agreement that can be... like it, It's... Yes, does it happen? Of course it does. We know it happened in this situation, but it's also not something that like is technically allowed. And I think, yes, the Sixers would get in trouble, but I'm pretty sure Harden himself would also be in and some shit too. So I don't think you would want to do that. Um, but I, I think what he can do is just show up and be totally disruptive, be a malcontent. And there's really nothing that the Sixers can do about that. So yeah, I, I don't know. But then he's going to cost himself quite a bit of money too, right? Why? Um, because if he, well, it's been, Last year he had a return to form, right? But for all the reasons you mentioned, like if he hits free agency next year, is anyone going to give him a, a, a five-year max? Now, if he really balls out this year, maybe even win something in, in Philly, that changes, right? So 
there's an incentive for him to play really well, and there is a, a negative incentive for him if he if he shows up out of shape or. You know, well, I think I think he can do enough to just like show that he can still play and then still not be helping you win basketball games to the level that he's capable of. Like, I, I don't know that those things need to necessarily exist. Or, or do you think if he has dependent. if he has the same season he had last year, do you think he'd get a five year max? No. Yeah. So, so I think he needs to play at least that well, right? Which, but like, I don't think he's. Gonna, I don't think he's going to get five year max regardless. I don't think anybody's giving him a max anymore. That's really just like not going to be on the table for him. And I think he knows that, which is why he opted into his contract. Um, that sounds like bullshit energy, though, right? It's like, I mean, you can kind of prove like your worth, right? Prove that you still have it, unless he doesn't have that self belief anymore. But the dude just drafted twenty and ten, shooting thirty eight percent from three, like, and nobody was going to give him a max. Well, I mean, I think he can, if he thinks he can play better, even better than that, he's what, 34? 33. Um, like, they're, like, if he really played at an MVP level this season, I think you don't think he would get a, a max at that point? Even for three years, maybe? Um, no, I don't. Like, I just don't think anybody's giving, giving him a max. Like, he's not trustworthy. He clearly is willing to create problems as soon as he doesn't get his way. I don't think anybody's going to give him a max. I, I really don't. Like, maybe the Clippers, if they trade for him, because that's different, because then it's like, okay, well, we have to retain the asset. We're capped out. Fine. But, like, I don't think he's going to hit free agency next summer, and all of a sudden, I, I really don't know. I don't think it matters how he plays. I, I just cannot see a team being like, well, let's give him a four-year max. Let's go. Like, I just I think don't if he was that. to, I do think if he was to play, like, an MVP level or, like, an all-NBA level this year, um, it would, one, answer some of those questions. Um, and two, I think it would also say like, well, the decline isn't coming. And he has the kind of game that in theory should age well, um, because he's not as reliant on like brute force. That's athleticism. So I guess I disagree there. I do think that like, but his game hasn't aged something. well. Like we, we know his game is not aging. Well, that's because like he's, he, he's I mean, still he, reasonably it's, efficient and he can pass. Yeah, he but, can do but he's, things. he can't get to the rim like he ever, like he used to. He doesn't finish at the rim like he used to. I mean, he, he's, always been a terrible off he's been a terrible off ball player basically since he left OKC. Just an unwilling or uninterested off ball player since he left OKC. He's a very, very depend like he's a player who's become I mean he always has been dependent to a level on drawing free throws to buoy his efficiency. Like he this is what he is. He's not a good defensive player. His his, his defense isn't gonna get better. You know, it's not gonna like he's gonna morph into some effective defensive player um doing that so uh i don't know i just i'm i'm i don't think that deal is out there for him in any fucking scenario and i don't think it's unreasonable for him to be like i'm not i don't think facing your basketball mortality and being like yeah i'm probably not gonna ever play at the level i used to play at you know he's 30 he's 33 going on 34 I don't think it's unreasonable or even necessarily loser energy for him to be like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be as good as I was when I was 30, you know, because that's just like how shit works. Um, and he's played a lot of minutes. He's played a lot of games. He's, you know, he's put a lot of mileage on his, on his body. And I just think it's, it's okay if he's like aware that that max contract is not really out there for him in any situation. And 
I think that's exactly what the market told him. I mean, like you said, he had a good year. He had 20 and 10. He didn't really create much drama or anything for the, for the Sixers this year. He had 20 and 10, good efficiency. I think he led the league in assists, right? Um, he had a decent playoffs. I'm not going to say good, but like he had at least three really good games against Boston. I mean, he was really good in all their wins against Boston. And there was no interest for him on a max contract, which is why he was trying to draw Houston out, right? And Houston basically was like, no, we're not actually going to do that. So if in that scenario you couldn't get a max, why would I think that I can get a max next summer? It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't put the likelihood very high, but um, I, I do think there's a there's a case in which he can really perform at it. I mean, there, there's a case where I think he can perform at the kind of level or if he were to perform at that level. Now, you can say that it's unlikely or maybe he doesn't, and maybe that's fair. Um, to believe that that wouldn't be the case, but um, you know, I think the better he plays, like I do think the like that would have an impact on him financially, personally. And maybe more I don't know. I just yeah, I mean, I, I can see like okay, he's he could it could hurt. I could see like him not being a good soldier hurting the amount he gets, but I don't think there's a scenario where regardless of how he plays and how he behaves, that he's getting a max contract now, like. Yeah, maybe not. But I do think like, I mean, I do think the other part of it financially. Yeah, but the other part of it too is like if he acts out and he's a malcontent, and he's just there and he's he's there, but he's miserable, he's doing James Harden stuff and he's super disruptive on and off the floor or whatever, um, there's a chance he gets traded to the team he wants to get traded to, the Clippers, and then all of a sudden he turns it on and he plays really well and he's on his best behavior and all their shit and he gets the contract he wants anyway. So, like, I don't really, I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I don't think it's like, oh, he either shows up and he plays ball and he's a good soldier and he's on his best behavior and then he'll get rewarded with a contract from whoever in the offseason or he's a malcontent and he will get punished for his salary after finishing the year in the Sixers. Like, I think he could get traded and then earn the money that he wants back. Like, I, I don't. I, I just don't think it's as cut and dry as that because I, I think there are a number of ways this can go. And and the reality is the Embiid situation makes it even more difficult. Like, are you really going to sit there as Daryl Morey and be like, I'm going to just play chicken with Harden? And I mean, you're, it doesn't really matter what they do at this point. They've already, they're waste, they're going to have wasted another year of Embiid's prime. Now we can all have our issues with whatever Embiid does in the playoffs and skeptical of like, oh, well, is he really that guy? Whatever. But like, the point is, you're not putting your best foot forward this year. That's that's already done. There's no chance this team, as far as I'm concerned, there's absolutely no chance that they contend for a championship this upcoming season because you've already just poisoned the well. Um, I, I just cannot see James Harden giving enough of a shit to even give you a chance. And like last year, they probably had the best chance they're going to have in a while, and they blew it. So... I don't necessarily like. I don't think they're going to have that chance again. I don't think they're going to have a chance in an East where you know Giannis breaks his back in Game One of the playoffs, and that you get you play a Boston team that's super up and down, and maybe Boston will continue to be up and down. Like I'm not super high on what Boston did this offseason, but like things broke in a way that were pretty favorable for them, and they still couldn't capitalize. So I just don't really see how this situation is tenable for Maury. And he can pretend it is, and he can fucking want to sit at the poker table and, and stare James Harden down. But, like, I would bet on Harden 
to to win that showdown over Maury, given the other factors that Maury is dealing with. Because Harden doesn't Harden doesn't need to give a shit about Joel Embiid's future. He doesn't need to care about proving himself to his employer. As far as like the thing we have to remember is Daryl Maury is also looking for a new contract. He's got one more year after this upcoming season. Like he needs to earn an extension as well. So just playing this out and and playing poker with him. You like, think he'll try to play one on one with Harden for his heart? <laughs> yes um but like i don't know i just i think it's it's easy for it's a lot easier to do this with ben simmons in a situation where ben himself had very much lost the pr battle already and had very limited leverage in that sense and i think this is a totally different ball game to that yeah that's fair um we will see how it plays out um, do you think this has any impact on the Knicks? I mean, you'd have to think the Knicks look better in the division and in the conference, right? I mean, I, I personally just, I, I maybe I'm wrong. Like, uh, we'll see. Sometimes these situations don't end up hurting on the floor as much as you might think. But sometimes we see teams that just like, you know, we saw this in Minnesota, right? When Jimmy Butler clearly wanted out and he did basically everything he could to get out of there. They started that year, I think, like eight and eleven or something like that. They were not, they, but they were. They had been a fifty-win team the year before. They were eight and eleven. Obviously, the vibes are terrible. They end up trading Jimmy for pennies on the dollar. But like, it can it can derail seasons, and sometimes it doesn't need to. But I think it it definitely opens up the door. And and quite honestly, like, I think there was a scenario where even if Harden was a happy camper and he came back, that the Knicks could be as good or better than Philly in the regular season, anyways. Um, this upcoming season, so like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely helps the Knicks out. Um, I think it helps out the Knicks. I think it helps out Cleveland. I mean, it, it makes life easier for for Boston, for Philly. It potentially helps out Miami. Like, I mean, Miami's got a lot of shit that they're dealing with too, like unknown stuff. Um, as far as you know, they obviously haven't not they've not traded for Damian Damian Lillard yet. So we'll see if that gets done. But like, you know, they were the seven seed, right? Like. This helps them. I mean, this helps every team in the East because it just creates uncertainty for a team that, I mean, I, did I think they were going to be a contender this upcoming season? No, but if you had told me they were returning most of their same team, like I would have been like, okay, well, yeah, they're a definite top six team. And I don't know if I feel, I don't feel that way now. Like, I guess, I guess I would say, I still feel it's more likely than not if everything stayed the same that they'd be a guaranteed playoff team, but it definitely makes it a lot more of an uncertainty, of a lot more of a risk. So, yeah. Do you think it affects the Knicks from a transactional perspective? Do you think, yeah, do you think they trade for either of them, Harden, Embiid? Um, do you think they knock on the door and see if the, the Sixers are willing to trade someone like Maxi? No, I, I don't think Maxi's going anywhere. Not right. Not for whatever the Knicks would want to trade for. Did he like, get extended not, not, yet? No, he's not going to. They already said he's not going to. Um, he's going to hit free agency because he's the same class as quickly, right? Correct. Yeah, but he—they've already said they're not going to extend him. Oh. So they're um, going to let him go to restricted free agency. Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't think that matters. I don't think they're going to trade Embiid this year anyway, so I don't really think that matters. And I don't think the Knicks will trade for Harden at a price that Maury would do. Like, I, I just don't, 
again, the the offers that Maury's looking for for Harden are just not there. And I also don't know if you want to trade for Harden if you're the Knicks, given his general temperament and his It doesn't seem like it'd be a great fit with Randall, um, or Tibbs, for that matter. He but. doesn't seem like he'd be a good fit with fucking anybody, to be honest. He's just a miserable basketball player well, and I a mean, miserable person, apparently. I mean, I think there's a... The, the guys in the Knicks locker room, I mean, if you look at the vibes, and then, even Randall, right? I mean, we see some of this stuff on the court, but Randall seems to be really well-liked, right? I don't think he's really ever had an issue with a teammate. Maybe that kind of... Um, you know, if you're in the situation where they're top two or three seed and that's a move that puts you over the top, and at the trade deadline, like, things have gone south in Philly, um, you know, I could see them, you know, them, um, like, you know, if it's just, like, a first or something, and one unprotected first, and then, like, I don't think they'd trade any of the young guys, but if you can get him for, like, pennies on the dollar, which might end up making sense for, for Philly, I guess I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not really Because I will say secondary shot creation secondary shot creation next to Brunson is a problem in the playoffs right now still. Um so I don't it's think not like James Harden, Harden is, helps you. Even with as a secondary shot creator next to Brunson, I guess I would disagree no. with that. I'm so uninterested in James Harden. This is declining star, constantly unhappy, sucks yeah, ass on I mean, defense. It would be a rental, and then you'd probably be kind of getting into his twilight years. But, you know, if it puts you over the top this year, and it's like, he's not available. When has James Harden put anybody over the top? When has that happened? Am I, like, missing a part of his career where he, like, heroically led a team to a championship or even got to an NBA Finals as a lead guy? This guy is just a fucking well, regular be the lead player. Guy. He's, he would be the lead Come on, man. If James Harden comes here, you think he's just going to be like, oh, yeah, it's Jalen Brunson's show. I'm cool with that. Get the fuck out of here. Come on. It's I mean, he's James been Harden. the second option the last two years. Could Joel Embiid. That's not the same thing. Well, that, you know I mean, you different. said yourself he's declining, though, and if he believes himself that he's declining, which you were making that case he, before, I don't know why a potential all-NBA player in Brunson wouldn't take the lead. Jalen Brunson has not made. I love Jalen Brunson. He should probably have made an All NBA team last year. At least he should have been an All Star last year. He has not made. He has not achieved either of those distinctions in his career. I think yeah, it is. If we trade for a mid season. I think. I think it's so. I think it's. I think it's so naive. It is so naive to think that James Harden is going to come to the Knicks and be like, "Oh, I'm cool playing off of Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle." Like, well, I would, not I would imagine the team would have done their homework, but that's that's a fair concern to have for sure. It, it's it's just they can First, do their homework. I mean, do you, who I, do you think is the better player right now, though? We can agree on that, Brunson, right? Like, yeah, I it, Harden is just not. He, he's never been a player I believe in in the playoffs, and that's even become more the case the last couple of years. I mean, even last year, like he's he definitely not a guy up. I would trade for to be like the guy. I agree with that one hundred percent. He's he's just not the guy I'm training for to put me over the top because. If he's not capable anymore of being like this insane offensive fulcrum that he was in the past, I just don't see how he fits into a championship team. Like he's not a good second option because he doesn't want to play off ball, and he, I mean, doesn't want, can't, whatever. We can parse the, uh, <laughs> you know, the the specifics of what exactly that means. But um, yeah, I don't know. Right. Anyway, moving on. We enough about James Harden, who is a fucking loser. Um, and you still think they keep Embiid, right? Um, I, I think they keep Embiid. I would be shocked think, if they trade Embiid. 
do you think Rose had that is the kind of star Rose would even have interest in at this point? Embiid? Yeah. Yeah. Thousand percent. Like I, I every every the Knicks made an offer for Embiid. I've mentioned this multiple times. Like they've made an offer for Embiid. They were told in no uncertain terms that Embiid is not being traded this offseason. That's it. Like so they maybe next year, maybe next summer, sure. But Embiid is not going anywhere. And hundred percent the Knicks are interested in Joel Embiid. How interested they are? I don't know. Um but yeah. Uh all right. Uh does bear mention um, that before we get into our little segment here, Josh Hart, his contract, four years, $81 million, the contract extension. But what we discovered over the weekend is that the final year of this contract is a team option, which means that the guaranteed portion of his deal, including the opt-in this year, is basically four years, $72 million. And uh, that if it, if he obviously... If the team exercised this team option on the on the fifth year, that would bring it to five years, ninety five million. Given it's a four year, eighty one million dollar extension, I think if you are a Knicks fan and you had reservations about this deal, you should no longer have many reservations about this deal. And if you're still crying about it, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's it's fair value. I don't think I look at this deal like it's some kind of steal. Um, you know, I, I also. I don't really love the whole four for seventy one framing um, because it like it is it is a higher it is backloaded right in a different way. That said, though, he's going to be making what fourteen percent of the cap at that point for a guy, and I think that what caused a lot of the confusion is he's not um, he's not a typical three and D player, right? Um, he is the kind of player who the Knicks have started to value more, I think. Um, you can call it analytics, whatever, but I think they are finding that you know guys who are good team defenders, guys who can push the pace, guys who can contribute on the glass. Uh, these are players that the Knicks have shown they're going to value. Um, there's another one in that vein, uh, more of a shooter, obviously, than Hart, who's up for extension. But I think that's where a lot of the disparity comes from, where people are like, well, he's not a great shooter and he's not some big lockdown guy, he's 6'4". Um, and I think that the Knicks have changed a lot about how they evaluate players, and, and I think it's worked for them, and they deserve the benefit of the doubt here. And, uh, and we've seen Hart. Hart has, um, you know, in previous years, he's been a guy that that has had a pretty big impact. He can he can even fill up the scoring column when needed, right? He can get to the rim at a pretty high rate. Um, so I'm happy with the deal. Um, we'll see what happens. I don't expect it at any point to be a, a deal that's tough to move. Um, especially during the new CBA, and um, and we'll see. Let me throw this back to you, though. There were a few people. Um, there was somebody who tweeted about how the Knicks have um, the most money dedicated to non-max players or something like that, or like middle range. And so the idea is that they're spending all this money on mid-tier prospects when the conventional Muslim has been guys on maxes are the only ones who outperform. Uh, so if you're overpaying for role players, that's not great. Uh, what are your thoughts kind of on that? Do you see that as a problem at this point? No, I don't think it's a problem. Um, and I really don't understand that at all, to be honest. I think there's just a lot of people that are have been and are very, very anxious for the Knicks to trade for star player X. And until they do that, everything will be like, oh, this is okay, or this is not that inspiring, and this is just, it's like, oh, well, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and, it, like, I don't know, maybe just fucking enjoy a good basketball team, like, in real time. Like, I, I understand that 
you know, we all want the Knicks to win a championship, and to do that, you maybe presumably need to get another star in the building, and obviously part of getting a star is trading out some of these contracts that can be combined, and, you know, good, you know, turning four quarters into a dollar and all that type of shit. Like, I get that. Um, but I really don't understand why you would think this is a problem right now. Like, the cap is going to continue to jump, which isn't to say that this is never a concern. But, like, personally, I, I just think that there are more... There's There's more to how this team can improve moving forward than acquiring a star. Um, there's more options than that. There are ways to move salary around. There are ways to do things. I just don't think it's really worth concern or it's, it's really not worth being concerned over to this extent. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a slow know. off season. I think people are overreacting to a lot of things. Um, but you know, like it's a world where Dylan Brooks got four for 80. Um, and if you look at some of the other players who are making 14% of the cap, what you're going to see is a mix of sixth men, you know, like backup guards or, you know, guys like D'Lo even. Um, and yeah, like Hart probably isn't going to be the highest scoring guy in that group. He's not going to be the best three-point shooter. He's not going to be the most versatile defender, but he, he plugs so many holes and he contributes in so many ways. It's not, um, you know, you, you can see that's what they're valuing as well, and that's the direction they're going. I think that's a little bit of a, a point of contention as well. Um, what bearing do you think it has on the quickly extension? None. Why would it have any bearing? I This is the other thing. I feel like, again, people are just always trying to find, like, oh, what is this? This was like when we signed Dante DiVincenzo this offseason. Oh, does this mean quickly he's going? What is, oh, like, what is the next... Holy shit, like, are they playing 5e chess? Like, maybe they just signed Dante because he's a good player. And maybe they just extended Hart because he's a good player. And maybe they're but, probably going to extend quickly because he's a good player. Like, I don't... It well, doesn't you had mentioned before... You, you, have, you had mentioned before you would assume that quickly wants more than Hart. He's going right? to. So does that he's raise that number? No. The number is 472 that he's locked into for the next four years. Even if you want to use just the extension number, which is 358. Quickly, he's going to get more than that. He's going to get more than $20 million. He's going to get at least $20 million a year. He'll probably get a little bit more than that. Like, he's he's going to be above this. So it doesn't doesn't affect that at all. And he was always going to be above $20 million to me. Um, so I, I don't think it affects that at all. I think people are just desperate to, to get angry about something. I saw a lot of people like, oh, my God, this means they're not extending quickly, which makes no fucking sense because he's quite literally extension eligible until the season starts more or less. And also like and last year, I mean, they, they extended RJ in September, October, right? So. They, yeah, they basically extended RJ on Labor Day weekend, which is when right before the Donovan Mitchell trade went official. And um, more importantly, like right after the heart, you know, Ian Begley did a video right when heart extended and he was like, yeah, this is not, this doesn't really impact quickly. I expect them to get a deal done with quickly. And like, I don't know. I, I don't, not saying Ian is infallible, but I think when Ian says certain things, you should take them as not more than just educated guesses um, and informed speculation, I guess. Uh, so he's basically Berman, is what you're saying. Yeah, he's basically Berman. No, I, I just think like that means something, and we should take it for what it is. And... Um, I again, I would be very surprised if they don't come to an extension extension with quickly. Like we we know that they like him. 
I think it's obvious that he likes being in New York. Um, I think they, if the rotation did not change the way it did change last year, and uh, then I would be a lot more concerned. I mean, I think that he would just flat out would have wanted out if he was still sitting here, like, you know, playing on a timeshare with fucking Derek Rose and sitting behind Evan Fournier and shit like that. Like, I think he would have just been like, all right, it would have been like an OB situation, right? Like, get me the fuck out of here. Um, obviously, that's not what happened. He's a lot more central yeah, to their plan. Been, I think it would have been worse. Yeah, I mean, I think he's very, he's pretty clearly central to their plan. I mean, even, I, I think this is actually kind of telling is it's, it's a fair criticism to point out, like, he struggled significantly offensively in the playoffs. But I also think it's worth noting that, like, guess what? Like, I, I don't want to turn this into an RJ versus quickly thing, but I, you know, we've talked about this before. Like, I think quickly, at least to, to this point in time, has been a more impactful player. And I think it's worth noting that, like, when Quickly's offense went to shit in the playoffs, the Knicks' team offense went to shit in the playoffs. And that even is with RJ playing at his, at, I think what we would all say was, like, a, at least a solid level, if not a little bit better than that offensively. And, like, I, I think that just says, speaks volumes. And also, to, to an ex- obviously, that extends to Julius Randle as well, who also played very poorly on offense in the playoffs. But, like, I think it says something that those guys, when they play poorly offensively, it cratered the team to that level on that end. And even amidst that, as we've talked about, like the Knicks still won Quickly's minutes pretty handily because there's value to what he does defensively that can't necessarily be neatly captured in a box score. So, like, I do think it is worth noting that. Um, and and like, if anything, that's kind of like it's weird. It's like a reason to pay him, but it's also a reason um, to justify not giving him, you know, like maybe 25, 30 million a year, right? Where you're like, well, like, look, you, you didn't do it in the playoffs. So I can't just pay you for for what we hope you can do and what your impact is. But like, I guess the point is more like, I, in in his postseason failure, we did also get more evidence of how impactful he is um, and how much he is a needle mover for the Knicks. So, you know, I think the deal will get done. And I think that, um, yeah, and I would just be, sh- I'd be kind of surprised if, if it didn't. Um, and, and also, by, by the way, it's worth noting just because I did, I hope that people didn't take that too, like, oh, you're shitting on RJ. Uh, no, RJ played well in the playoffs. And more importantly, uh, RJ played really, really well yesterday, uh, in the Olympic tune-up, friendly, whatever you want to call it, against Germany. He had 31 points on 13 or 14 from the field. Uh, come from made- behind win in overtime um, where he hit, I believe, the go-ahead bucket. Um, and Germany had actually defeated Canada the previous game. They Actually, Germany's oh, yeah. really good. Franz has been balling out. Um, so not only did RJ play really well, missed only one shot, um, he had he was the best player on the floor. Um, you know, on, on a floor that included Shagulis Alexander, Franz, um, other, a lot of other pros as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, RJ dominated. I mean, SGA was terrible and rj was really good so that should like you know i'm not again like stop the count yeah olympics and stuff like there's it's always weird you always get certain guys that are really good in international play and other guys that struggle in it and it's a different style and whatever but like you know i guess to some extent yes rj does get to the line a pretty decent amount in the nba 
Obviously, we all wish he could get there a little bit more and, more importantly, would convert at a better clip. But I think what you see to some extent uh, in FIBA is like guys that are not so dependent on getting to the line and free throw baiting translate a little bit better. And, um, you know, maybe this is a learning experience for SGA. I don't think he's played in FIBA competition before, at least not in a few years. So maybe he's adjusting to how the whistle is. Um, and maybe he'll be better off for it when the Olympics actually, or not the Olympics, sorry, the uh, the World Cup actually starts. Um, but he's definitely struggled with that. And RJ, you know, whatever you want to say to him, he plays through contact. You know, he's consistently played through contact in his career. And I think you see some of the benefits of that, um, or you're seeing some of the benefits of that. And also, shout out Jalen Brunson, who went 9 of 9 for 22 points and 5 assists. Amazingly, uh, for the first time in his career yesterday, did create for teammates. So, um, shout out for Jalen Brunson for achieving that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the, I mean, the guy played for Jay Wright in college. This, like, we've seen also, by the way, I think that Cavs game in particular is noteworthy, but that first Cavs game where Randall was out and Brunson had 48. So not the first game, it was later in the season. But the point is, it wasn't just the fact that he dropped 48. He was playing at so much of a faster pace. Um, and and moving the ball, right, and, and playing off ball, I think with quickly a lot of that gets unlocked. So this is definitely, I don't think he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to be effective. Um, I think it's worth noting that so far, R.J. Barrett's shot has looked more consistent, tiny sample size, but, um, you know, we saw all the content that, that Prez looked at. You know, we, we've seen the changes that they want him to, or they want him to be more consistent with. It's, it's changes he's made previously. It's, it's something that he struggles to, I guess, maintain throughout the season. Um, but, you know, a, a league average three-point shot for RJ is a game-changer. Um, like, you can see how much more efficient he is on his drives when he is willing to pass out of them. It just it doesn't just help those drives. But um, it also, when defense have to respect the pass, uh, you know, it opens up your lanes a little bit more, right? Um, and, um, and, you know, so if they're, they're kind of backpedaling or, or trying to defend both the pass and the drive, that's when that shoulder blow is really going to have even more of an impact than, uh, you know, when you're telegraphing it. Um, so I think, um, I think those are, um, you know, those are both encouraging things. We'll see what happens, but, um, but I, I mean, I think that you look at this team and it's like, there's a lot of reasons to, I mean, I think Jeff Rasmussen yesterday said there's, this team has 60 plus win potential in his mind. If, if you know, I, I think he's critical of Tibbs and thinks that that might put a ceiling on it. But um, I might not be as high as that. But I think they, they played at a 53 win pace after they got Hart. They have multiple guys who are who should get better. Grimes should get better. Quickly should be better. Should get better. As much as Arge has been this huge topic of, of concern for a lot of fans, he he has made strides in different parts of his skill set his entire career. Does he need to put up a league average efficiency season? Yes. But I, I don't think there's it's a stretch to suggest that he's going to get better. Um, so no, I don't think it's possible. I really don't. And I'm, this is kind of like I, you know, everything I say about Arjo will probably get taken as an insult to some degree. But like, I don't think he can be worse than he was during the regular season <laughs> last year. Like, I I fully expect him to be better. I I, I really do. And like, you know, he, he to your point, like even amidst what I thought was a pretty awful regular season for him, like he did improve as a finisher. Like he did, he was better around the basket. He did show a little bit more consistency on that floater, like not great. And it, it went really from like God awful to bad, but that's, that's a significant improvement. I'm not even like not trying to minimize that. Cause if you just become 
being bad at finishing up the rim and around in the paint, like, guess what? If you do that at a high enough volume, that's still good because those are higher percentage shots than like an 18-foot jumper, right? So um, I don't think those... It's not about him... I think, to your point, like he's shown improvement at various different things in his career. It's about putting it together and being, on aggregate, a, a player who is significantly more than what we have seen overall in his time in the NBA. We've seen stretches, we've seen moments, we've seen glimpses, all that stuff. The playoffs last year probably being the best kind of stretch and an example of that. But it's about putting together an 82-game season. You know, and obviously that doesn't mean like you're going to play well in all 82 games, but it's about, okay, over the course of an 82 game season, were you a positive impact, high minutes player on significant usage, which is just, that is his role. Like that is the role that he has to be good at. It cannot be like, well, you know, the spacing and this, no. Okay. Like part of the spacing is, do you think he needs more on ball reps to reach that ceiling though? Or I mean, ceiling is different than what I'm talking about. Like, so to, to get to what you're talking about, yeah, sorry. No, I don't think he's wrong, but I think he needs to be better in the reps he has. He gets plenty of on-ball reps. Like, I, do I think that, like, he's a more central focus of the offense than Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson? No. Do I feel that, you know, maybe a, a coach that would install a more free-flowing motion offense, that he'd benefit from that? Sure. But, like, at the end of the day, I don't think that he's getting... Like, I think he gets plenty of on-ball reps. I think he gets a lot of initiation opportunities. And it's on him to earn more than what he has on his plate right now. And he has to do that by first excelling in the reps that he gets. And he has not done that yet in his career. But, like, maybe this is the year. You know, it, it it's possible. And, and if nothing else, like, again, like, I just don't think he'll be... I really don't think he'll be as bad as he was last year in terms of his impact because... I don't really, I don't know how he could be as bad as he was on defense in a lot, a lot of ways, and I, I just have to believe. Worse than his rookie year or second worst season? I mean, it was not worse than his rookie year, but it's also like he was a rookie, so you know, I'm not that. I don't think it's worth even comparing it to that year. It was definitely his worst defensive season aside from his rookie year. I don't even think there's a question about that. But more importantly, it's like. Half the battle, we can talk about all this stuff, finishing and playing better on defense and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff can matter. If he just becomes a league average three-point yeah. shooter, that really is enough. That that really is enough to completely change, maybe not the ceiling, but it definitely changes the floor. And that's and right now, that makes him a pretty solid third option, right? So, and that, that doesn't seem that far of reach. We've seen him have one really good season. Um, you know, watch Press's videos. There's a lot... Um, it's a pretty fair breakdown of, of things that I think it feels like just being a league average catch and shoot guy. Even if he never develops a pull up to your point, he does need to get a little better in defense, but being that third guy, um, or a pretty positive impact player isn't that far. So if you look at all of these guys, even, even guys like Hardenstein and Mitch are not like, I mean, Mitch maybe is what he is, but he's added to his game. He's gotten starter on defense. I mean, the way he played in that last game against. Jokic, you know, forcing six turnovers. I like Jokic usually destroys them. Those are the types of guys that destroy them. So this team can get better. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, how far can this go, team go without a star trade? I did want to ask, kind of, especially since we were just talking about the contracts, but 
you know, I think a lot of what people talked about is in two summers when Brunson and Randall are both likely to be free agents, um, you know, that could be where it gets tricky. Um, you know, the Knicks lose flexibility if they get to the second apron. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, assume, let's say quickly gets four for a hundred, right? Let's be, I'll be conservative there. Um, you know, what, how do you see, cause there's people who are like, they're going to be really screwed with that Randall and, and, um, Brunson summer and, you know, are, are they going to pay Randall $50 million? Um, you know, things like if they end up getting close to the second apron, um, after the quickly extension or whatever, uh, you know, not being able to improve. I, I'm, you know, I'm not very well versed, as you know, in, in the cap and those kind of things. Uh, could you talk about the situation as you see it and, and kind of what, uh, what you think the implications are going forward? Of quickly getting extended? Of just general the cap situation, right? Um, from here until whenever Randall is a free agent and Brunson will probably opt out, you know. Um, I mean, the Knicks you know, are going to be over the cap. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, they should be under the... They might be... They, they could very well be a tax team next year. They could very well even be over the first apron next year. Um, they'll, they'll almost definitely not be a second apron team next season, and I imagine they would want to avoid being a second apron team until they have to... Um, until they do cash in their chips for a star, or if they do that. And the implication of the uh, second apron is you can't make trades, right? Or you can't... Um, you can't well, you can make trades. It's I, I don't really want to go into the super specifics of it, but the second apron, if you're in the second apron for three out of five years, your pick... Seven years out is frozen, so you can only trade three first, not four first. Um, there's different. You have to take in less. I you can't aggregate salary out, so you can't combine two players to trade for one, um, or even trade for two. It doesn't matter. You can trade one for two, but you can't trade two at all, not together anyway. And you can't take in more salary than you send out. So you have to take at most what you're sending out or less. Um, and obviously the uh, kind of the, the benchmarks for how much you can or can't take have changed. They become, there's there's less leeway on the salary match stuff. So those are the main things to consider. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you have to, I don't think you, you can prioritize trade flexibility over like being actually just retaining good talent. You know, like you have to retain good talent and then work from there. Like I don't think you can let guys go or trade guys because you're like, well, we want to increase our trade flexibility. I, that's just stupid. The Knicks but are to be clear, like they're that. not even with a quickly extension, they wouldn't be close to that kind of situation anyway, right? Yeah, like, I mean, it depends, right? So you have the quickly extension, then they could have two first next year, um, depending on how things work out. And, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein's a free agent. Are you going to bring him back? You have a Quentin Grimes extension. Obviously, that wouldn't kick in next year, but it would kick in the year after that. So that's something you have to, to think about also. Um, none of these, none of this is to say, like, this is impossible to manage, but it is stuff that you have to consciously um, be aware of. And so, like, look, if they bring back Hartenstein and they extend quickly and you bring in two first round picks potentially, like, you're look, you're almost definitely going to be in the first apron. There's no way to really avoid that at that point. But, um, you know, if, if you, if there isn't a star trade out there to make, then isn't that just what you have to do? Like, I don't know. I, I don't, 
I think it's fine to be cognizant of the tax. I also think we have to stop acting like going into the taxes. Oh, yeah, like it's not a hard cap. I mean, it is a hard cap, but it's not like we can't treat going into the taxes as a thing that you cannot do. Guess what? James Nolan hasn't paid a fucking cent of tax money since the 2014-15 season. Like he has not paid luxury tax since then because the Knicks and have the first sucked. apron doesn't really reduce your trade flexibility at all, right? No, the first apron does. Uh, the, actually, in some ways, the first apron is more restrictive in terms of your trade flexibility. So, like, it almost behooves you to go to the second apron at that point. Um, the only advantage you do get is like if you're a tax, you can spend the uh, the full MLE. Basically, I, I, I really don't want to get into the the specifics of the CBA. Somebody, I'll save that for Jeremy Cohen to do at some point in time. Um, but like, yeah, the first the first apron is restrictive in its own way. The second apron is restrictive in its own way. In some ways, the first apron could be perceived as more restrictive when it comes to trades. Um, but like, either way, you know, I I don't think the Knicks can be in the business of like letting talent go out the door unless you have a way to like you know replace it. So for example, you know Hartenstein. If you don't think Hartenstein is worth going over the first apron for, let's say, okay, that's fine, but you need to have a plan for replacing who a guy who I think is at least you know he, he's one of the best, if not the best, backup center in the NBA. So um, you have to have a plan to replace that because he's he's been a very impactful player for the Knicks. So um, those are the things you have to get the way and consider. But like you know, don't don't value trade flexibility over retaining good talent and there's always ways to get around it right like if you need to shave money okay i'm sure you can find a team that would just take like a oh give us a first round pick for emmanuel quickly okay i'm sure that there is a team that will do that you know like I, I think there's always ways to shave money off your books if you need to so um i wouldn't worry about that too much um and then kind of with Randall, what do you, do you, I mean, if he's up for extension in two years and he's going to want $50 million, do you think that's a sign they are going to trade him at some point? I would, I have no idea. Um, maybe, like if he plays well in the playoffs or something this year, then that changes your calculus. I don't think they can know for sure, but I think they will know for sure after this year, one or the other. Um, and also I'd be like, who's going to give Julius Randall $50 million? I just don't. I don't see it. Like I think, think he is Chelsea Clinton. Yeah, right. Like I, but I do think he is. To me, he's very different than Brunson. I really don't know that there's another team in the NBA that would show the patience and loyalty the Knicks have showed him the last couple of years. And I don't know if a team would be comfortable throwing fifty million dollars at him. So I kind of think, you know, I'm not not to say this is a discount, because, but like, you know, could you get him at like? Four years, forty million, or something like that. Is that worth it? I don't know. Those are the things you get. Four years, one sixty. You mean? Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So, you know, I don't know, but I don't see a team being like, "Oh man, we'll just fucking pay up to get Julius." That's very. He's very different from Brunson to me. Um. All right. Let's go into uh, what we're going to do today. What we're going to do today is we are going to be ranking. The five best and the five worst moves of the Leon Rose era. Um, so st- I guess we'll start from. So it's okay. So it's when we're talking about the best moves, we have to start from the worst of the best moves going to the best of the best moves, and when we're doing the worst moves, 
we have to start with the best of the worst moves all the way to the worst of the worst moves. Uh, but we're going to go five to one. So let's start with your, what do you think was the fifth best move of the Leon Rose era, Stacey? Um, I am Actually, why don't we do this? Why don't you just tell me, tell me your, tell me your top five in order of the five best. I'll tell you my top five, then we can talk from there. Okay. Um, number one is Jalen Brunson, um, signing him to, uh, it, that is just right now the biggest deal in the, the NBA. Everyone said Leon Rose is, needs to bring a star here. Um, did that. So number one is Jalen Brunson. Number two, I'm still going to say is, uh, drafting Emmanuel quickly. Um, six man of the year candidate, um, one of the most impactful players. Uh, number three, I'm going to say is, Drafting uh, Quentin Grimes, um, very impactful player again. Um, number four, I am going to say is um, I'm going to say just because of the cost and how much it mattered for getting the Knicks their first playoff appearance, I will say Derrick Rose. And then number five, I would say Randall's current contract looks really good. So I'm going to actually say Randall's the, the current contract. Um, all right, so I have a similar list. I did combine some things. So my first one was, again, I also had the signing Brunson. I also included Hartenstein here because I think those moves are kind of tied together because they did clear the cap space for both of them. So signing Brunson and Hartenstein was my number one. For number two, I put drafting quickly in Grimes. I know that that's a little bit different, but I still think that they are somewhat tied together. Um, I think the idea is more like finding it extreme value like in drafts where you don't often do that uh number three i actually put this i don't i don't know how exactly it was but betting on randall heading into the 2022-23 season i think they deserve a lot of credit for that because that's what i killed them for last summer um was not trading randall and they held to their guns and they got rewarded for it obviously in a major way he was an all nba player this past season and deservedly so um, number four, I put extending Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I think that extension looks fantastic. It was a gamble at the time. I don't think anybody can deny that in terms of, you know, even I know you were bigger, you were a bigger Mitchell Robinson believer than I was heading into last off season, but like he had had a serious foot injury in 2020, 2021 last year, he was a lot more up and down while still showing you like there is a level he can get to that's very, very impactful. And then this past season, I think, was, I mean, very clearly his best season as a pro. He dominated an opening round series against Jared Allen, a player that, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people felt was a superior center to Mitchell Robinson. Um, and he thoroughly dominated that matchup and, and really that series. And then number five, I put training for Josh Hart. Um, I think those were the five biggest moves. If you wanted to just say, like, if you made me pick, right, I would say, like, drop down trading for Hart and put drafting Grimes at, like, four and drop down Mitch to extending Mitch to five. But, like, you know, I feel okay combining those things because I kind of think they are tied together. And, yeah, if I had if I had combined some of the draft stuff, I would have had Mitch up there. Um, I think the Hart trade, I'm probably a little bit lower than I think it was more fair value than, like, some kind of a great steal. I'm curious, you didn't have the Rose, the Derek Rose trade, even though that cost virtually nothing. Um, is that something, you know, is that something that because it didn't work out for more than a year, you don't care that much about, or you just, uh, yeah, I'm curious about that. 
Um, sorry, can you say that again? I'm I, curious. You, 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 didn't, at the end. you didn't put the Derrick Rose trade. Uh, yeah, trade. I, I, I was thinking about that. Um, That's, I think, the only place where you defer. Yeah, I mean, I think the only reason I didn't put that is... I know this sounds so ridiculous, but, like, I'm not entirely sure that the current state of the Knicks would be much different if they didn't trade for Rose. Whereas I think all those other... I think all these other moves are significant needle movers in they weren't just needle movers in the short term they were also needle movers um in the aggregate in like where the knicks are today and how they project moving forward whereas derrick rose is more of like a hey let's get this guy because we want another point guard and it'll help our bench and let's also make tibbs happy type of thing you know it was it's a little bit different to me than than the rest of these like i mean i have to say i think the one that maybe and honestly this might deserve to be a little bit higher because of how much criticism they got for, not just for me, from a lot of people, was like just bringing Randall back for this past season. I think they deserve a ton of credit for it because like, it's easy to forget now after the past season we had how awful Randall was in 2021 or in 2021, yeah, 2021, 2022. Like he was terrible that season and he wasn't just bad on the court. He was just a miserable teammate, um, a miserable leader, an awful leader for being truthful about it and they bet on we think getting Jalen Brunson will make life easier for him we think you know we saw the worst of him last year but we will we believe that he has the capacity to bounce back obviously he talked about um you know getting some of the doing some like you know mental health stuff that helped him out this past season and um you know is he perfect no, he's obviously not, and he's, we still have to see him do it in the playoffs. But you know, if at a very basic level, if if you like, if they traded him today, they'd be trading him at a much higher value than what they would have been moving him for last summer, which was, I mean, they probably were looking at attaching assets, right? So, um, I, I think they deserve a lot of a ton of credit, really. For betting on that, and and I guess it is tied to what I call their worst move, but we'll get to that when we talk about their worst moves. Yeah, and I think in general with with the you talked about this with the Mitch contract too. I think I think they've had a good sense of how this landscape was going to shake out in terms of cap and being ahead of that. I think they've played that change a lot better than a lot of these other GMs. That Randall contract, you know, the fact that he played well this year certainly helps. But even then, it, it's never been this disaster of a deal um, just because of, of all of these things that are happening with, with the cap going up and everything. Um, so I think they've, in general, they've navigated. They, they had the foresight to realize that the Mitch deal was going to age well, right? Um, so I think, um, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that for sure. Um, you know, what would you say, I guess, what would you say if you had to just say, those five best moves, would you call them high impact? You know, compared to like, are those like, when's the last time a front office had five moves of that caliber on this next team? I mean, it's not been since. I mean, I got, you could argue Grunwald, who I actually think did a good job in terms of like 
some of the players and he, he targeted, but I think sucked at getting value in transactions. Like he lost the margins in every move he made. Um, you know, he gave up like a couple of seconds for Felton. He, uh, he gave up a couple of seconds for Camby. Came like he always gave up value where you probably didn't need to, or where a better GM wouldn't have. Um, and you know, like he gave like Felton a fourth year player option. He gave Novak a fourth year player option. It's like in the moment, those were not trades that you were like, or you were not like super worried about them. But obviously, as we found out down the line, they were they were kind of big deals. And so, um, and then the other part of it is like, as good as I think Grunwald was in terms of constructing an immediate winning roster in 2012-13, that team had no shelf life, right? They had no longevity. They were done after that season, and he had to try to replace all these dudes on a shoestring budget. And guess what? You couldn't create recreate the same magic, right? Like. Bano Udrich wasn't Jason Kidd before Jason Kidd stopped making any shots. He, you know, uh, Meta World Peace was not what the Knicks anticipated. Andrea Bargnani was Andrea <laughs> Bargnani. Um, like it just it, it was really really hard to 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 recreate that, and and we saw that. And um, you know, uh, and then obviously before that, you have to go back to like Checkets or and Grunfeld, and it's like. At that point, you know, what the fuck? So, um, yeah, I mean, the Knicks, this front office, like, I think they've done a really good job. If I were to grade them, I would probably, I would say, I would say B plus, you know? Um, have they nailed everything? No, we're going to talk about the worst moves they've made, and I think they deserve criticism too. But on aggregate, like, you know, and this is something where there, there's a contingent of Knicks fans who um, have been vocal about, you know, this is a low ceiling, this is low ceiling, why don't we have a star? What is the point of bringing back this team? It's captain, it's upside, and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of understand that. But to me, like, I'll put it this way. Do I think the Knicks front office believes that this roster is currently constructed as a championship contender? No. But do I think that this front office believes that the young players that are currently on the roster are actually good and are actually capable of helping teams win basketball games and are therefore comfortable more aggressively chasing after players who can help win basketball games and are operating like a win now team. Yes. Like they have drafted young players and they've retained young players who help you win basketball games, who are good NBA players, you know, like getting two rotation guys, two guys who are quite frankly, starting caliber players, Grimes in actuality and, and quickly in all but name, um, getting two guys of that caliber with the 25th pick is incredible value i mean it really is and i think they were able to immediately recognize no no not only are these guys good picks at that spot but these are players who we can slot into the rotation and help us win basketball games which i think has in some ways not entirely but in some ways has shaped how aggressive they've been about going after players who can help them win now and obviously they've done that without, you know, this isn't them going after like 31, 32 year old guys, right? Like, and trying to compete in this next one or two years, but they've gone after players like Jalen Brunson, Isaiah Hartenstein, now Dante DiVincenzo, um, guys that, yeah, they're not at their, they're, they're not like going to fall off a cliff anytime soon. Um, but they are players who you are targeting to improve your basketball team today as much as 
they can be pieces of it in the next two or three years. So, um, you know, I think this front office deserves a lot of credit for building a foundation that is sustainable, that has built-in upside in terms of, you know, we talked about RJ earlier in the pod, quickly, Grimes, even Mitchell Robinson to an extent, I think has upside. I think you can look at guys like Isaiah Hartenstein and Jalen Brunson and even Dante Hartenstein's what, 24, 25? He's the same age as Mitch. You know, they're the same age. And so, like, even Brunson and DiVincenzo, like, do I think they're going to become significantly better than what we have seen of them? Maybe not, but what they are is already really good, and they're not in their prime years yet. So you can presumably expect some level of improvement from those guys as well. So, like, I don't view this team as capped. I don't think they have no upside. I actually think they have probably more upside than people give them credit for. And, um, I mean, look, if if you think highly of R.J. Barrett, right, then you should feel that this team has significant upside. Because if you believe R.J. Barrett in R.J. Barrett, then, like, I think you should feel that last season on on, on the whole was not an accurate picture of what he is and what he can be and if you if you do come to that conclusion then you have to believe that this team has significant upside you know like i just don't really see the argument for it not so i think they deserve a lot of credit and and you know we can talk about the numbers and the cap and all that stuff like they've all they've also shown their ability to manage and navigate those you know tight confines and and not just that i you know the biggest thing and this is not a thing that you can really rank in what we did but maybe the biggest thing that they deserve credit for is fostering an environment where players are comfortable doing a quid pro quo to uh, quote one Hannibal Lecter uh, with with the front office. You know, we see this like in in almost every contract they've signed, right? Where it's like, okay, Jalen Brunson. They could have given Jalen Brunson more money, by the way. Like they had the cap space to do that. He's willing to take a little bit less than that. Um, they give him a player option. Obviously, that's, that relationship is a little bit different, though, right? That's fine. They they get a team option from Josh Hart on the back year of his contract, right? They get Dante DiVincenzo to take a couple mil less on his overall deal, which helps them duck the cap. Uh, or sorry, which helps them duck the tax this year. We saw them... Yes, you can say they extended Julius for the most money possible at the soonest date possible, but... In a lot of ways, he did them a solid by not playing it out into free agency where he would have been eligible for a five-year, $200 million contract. Instead, he signs a four-year, $117. Um, and that's, you know, baking in incentives. It's more like a, it was more like a four-year, $106 million contract. Like they, so they, they get a little bit of a concession there. And I just think when you see all this stuff on Agra, even the, even the RJ one, right? Like people were talking about RJ Barrett as, He's going to want a max. He de- he's going to demand a max. He deserves a max. Whatever. They get him for a four $107 million extension, which, like, look, however you feel about R.J. Barrett as a player, that very clearly at the time was not well below what a lot of people thought that number was going to come in at. And they got him to do a four-year extension, not a five-year extension, right? Obviously, a five-year would have been a full max at that time. There was no, if you, if you extended him, whatever. But the point is, like, they did get him on a, I don't want to say cut price deal, but a deal well below what a lot of people were projecting. So, and, and and I think what is even more telling about this is like, obviously RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, whatever, these various dudes, they were dangled all last summer and, and, you know, posited as pieces in a Donovan Mitchell trade. And the fact that 
they were able to keep those. They didn't make the trade, so those guys stayed in New York, and they were able to still foster like a positive team environment, team culture. I think that says a lot about the front office, and you know, by extension, Tom Thibodeau. Whatever we do think his flaws are, um, like he deserves credit for that too. And obviously, they hired Tibbs. So I just think the entire vibe of the organization. And and how it's perceived by players and and people around the league has changed drastically since they come in, and that is a credit to the front office more than anybody. Um, so, yeah, like I, I really can't say too much more positive about them. And you know, yeah, B plus. Like I know there are people that would give them an A, and I, I don't think, and I think an A is like a every single major inflection point you nail i don't think i can say that about them but most of them yeah they've they've done a very very good job and even when they fucked up they've found ways to pivot um and and improve the roster as we saw as we saw last year the other thing is and maybe this will be coming in your five worst moves neither of us mentioned tibbs although i do think there's a lot of people who would say hiring tom thibodeau and look you can i didn't like the the middle season at all the fact is he's gotten out of a guy who would never come close to an all-NBA team, he's gotten two all-NBA teams out of him. Um, you know, he, he's got a team that was a laughing stock to two playoffs in three seasons, um, including and, and, and the first playoff series in a few years. I'm curious, why, why would um, – and, and I think he, you know, to the extent that all of these other moves have worked out, um, you know, as you kind of hinted at, Tibbs does deserve some credit. Um, you know, whatever else you want to say, I think the player development has clearly been really good, and he does, he certainly hasn't hurt it. And if you look at his track record, young players do tend to get better, even if they don't always get the kind of minutes you'd like. Um, I'm curious, Tibbs was hiring Thibodeau. Did you consider that as one of the top five moves, and, and ultimately, why didn't it make your list? Hiring Tibbs? Yeah. Um. I mean, maybe it's wrong for me to not include that, but I guess I don't fully know that. I don't think Tibbs was so unique as an available head coaching prospect that what we have seen this team become and develop into is down to him. And quite frankly, like in the 2021-22 season, we saw some of his absolute worst tendencies. We saw some of his absolute... And, and tendencies that I think really could have... I think we're lucky in some ways that guy a guy like Emmanuel Quickly is wired in the way he is because the management of him in, during that season was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to say about R.J. Barrett, the fact that it took until, like, end of December for him to become a clear-cut, more central focus of the team's priorities than, like, Evan fucking Fournier is a, like, that that could have been a thing that was a lot more problematic than it was. And I'm not, like, if you want to say Tibbs gets these guys to buy in and he deserves credit for some of their mentality, I guess, sure, I don't, I don't really totally agree with that. Um, but I just don't know how important he is to their entire overall turnaround. And I also maybe am punishing him wrongly for feeling like he has taken this team as far as he is personally capable of taking this team to go. And 
I guess that's part of it too. Um, and I'll like, look, we'll talk about this in the worst things. I'm not going to blame him for it entirely, but his management use utilization of Obi Toppin was ridiculous. Um, especially this past season, like honestly ridiculous. And, um, I do punish him for that because I do look, we'll talk about when we get to the worst ones, but I think that's one of the more significant, um, errors of the Leon Rosero. Yeah. And I will say this, right. Going back to that Obi pick, like it seems like it, Brunson is, I, I think, one of the top exhibits. I don't think this is a guy that wants to slow the ball down, and I don't think he wants to play hard and ball. Or he doesn't have to for sure. Um, I think a lot of these guys they just signed the guy off the freaking Warriors, right? Um, who was very much a that kind of player there. The way that they have built this team, it's curious if um, not only is it something that Tibbs can't get the most out of, but it's almost a diametrically opposed type of style to to what he wants a lot of. So I think that that's also what mitigates it. It's like it does seem like this this marriage might have a an expiration date, um, especially with what the front office the front office seems to think of the game. I don't want to go with modern versus not modern or whatever, but <coughs> they've they've you know tried to go out and get shooters, tried to go out and figure out ways to play you know with more lineup flexibility, a little bit more smaller. Um, in the on the perimeter, and you know, it, it, Tibbs not being able to take advantage of that, or kind of leaning to the opposite direction from some of that would be a little bit damning. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- I mean, those are some of the reasons why. And I, I totally agree that with how well they've done with this roster, there are definitely coaches that are going to fuck it up. I don't think I, we just had David Fisdale before Tibbs, so um, it's certainly not to say that that, that would have been an easy job. But um, you know, if they'd hired a guy like Kenny Atkinson. And if they had drafted this way, it's not unreasonable to believe that the Knicks could have had could have made pretty significant strides if maybe not winning a playoff series. So, not yeah, to say I, I mean, want that thing, but like, I, I think to your point that he, like Tibbs wasn't some unique guy that like only he could have done this for sure. Yeah, I mean, they interviewed a bunch of guys that ended up, you know, I think they interviewed Will Hardy, who yeah. I'm not sure is. I'm not convinced that Will Hardy is like the second coming, but um, he showed he showed out very well his first year in Utah. Uh, they, I mean, they interviewed a bunch of guys who've gone on to become like head coaches or have interviewed elsewhere. Right, Jamal Mosley is a guy they interviewed, and he's the head coach now in Orlando. And from everything we've seen and heard, he's done a good job there, um, both in terms of like their team progression and individual player development. And uh, you know, look, let's be to be fair to Tibbs, like. We've talked about this before. I do think that whatever you may feel about his ability to utilize and prioritize young players, I think he does do a good job of developing them, and he's shown that throughout his career. Like at the very least, young players, like you can't universally be like all young players suffer under Thibodeau, right? There's just too many guys who have now positively developed under him at early stages in their careers. Be it Joakim Noah, Jimmy Butler, quickly. Grimes, you know, like those four just top of my head, top of my head as far as like some Dang. level of outlier. Yeah, yeah. As far as like some level of outlier growth, those four in particular kind of stand out. Um, I, I mean, Noah, I know is a little bit different, but Noah turned from like, oh yeah, he's a great defensive player to like, is this dude averaging like five assists a game? Like, what's happening here? They were running um, the offense through right? Rose right. Yeah. right. So like, I I think he deserves credit for that. And even like you know, to lesser you you brought up a little dang Mitchell Robinson. Um, like he's a guy who's developed under Tibbs. I think to a lesser, I think you can even give him credit for like, 
I think Isaiah Hartenstein improved significantly through last season in terms of his defensive dis yeah, his defensive discipline and his his rebounding. Uh, like his rebounding improved a lot. I thought as the season went on, in terms of boxing out, holding position, letting others come in and get those boards and shit like that, he got a lot better at that. So, um, yeah, I, I do think Tibbs deserves credit for this type of stuff. And you know, like I, I think, like for example, if you would put hiring Tom Thibodeau in your top five, I wouldn't have been like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? That's crazy!" Like I just, I just didn't really, I didn't feel like it was enough to put him there, and you know. That is what it is, but yeah. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to get into when we're talking about the positive stuff before we get into the nitty-gritty of everything they've done that sucks? No. Um, I will say the I think how I attacked this list was a little bit kind of cost versus benefit as well. So, like, why I included that Derrick Rose trade was, like, it costs so little. And it mm. so, like, I, so, like, whereas I think you're looking more in terms of, like, the long-term impact. So that probably is going to... Ch- our our worst move list might also differ because, um, yeah, I'll say it like that. Just um, yeah, just more of a cost benefit without thinking about how it currently is impacting the team. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of cost, I think you could argue the Rose thing is the most impactful move they made. Um, all right, let's go into the five worst moves. Um. Let's just start with our fifth, our, our fifth worst ones for for each of us. I'll go first. I put this as my fifth worst one, and I don't know how people feel. I'm just going to say, not trading into the 2023 draft. I think is, or I I just don't I don't like going two years without drafting anybody. And sure, okay, fine. If you want to say they draft Trevor Keels, like fine, okay, like he's not even on the fucking team anymore in any capacity. So I'm going to say they went two years without drafting anybody, and I just think this was, like, I'll put it this way. Um, there's been a lot of, like, and I don't think unfairly some consternation about, like, who's our backup for? Who's going to play the backup for? And I, you know, we've talked about, like, I don't personally feel this is a huge issue. But if you had moved into the back end of the first or whatever and taken a backup for, I don't think this is even a conversation or something for people to worry about because it would be very, very obvious that, like, even if this guy isn't going to play all the time, you have a situational four, right? Like, oh, this guy is a rookie contract player. He's his first year in the NBA. We're going to try to mix him in slowly where we can. Um, whereas now, like, we don't really have that pipeline, right? There's no there, there's no pipeline of, like, young talent, really. I mean, not to say these guys are old, but, like, after this year, the only guy who's going to be on a rookie-scale deal anymore that's currently on the roster is Quentin Grimes, and he's only going to have one year left. Uh, Deuce McBride will be a, a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Maybe they extend him. I don't know. But like, there is not that pipeline of young, cost-controlled, rookie-scale talent. And I thought that w- they had an. O- I think they had an opportunity to move back in. Whether that would have entailed trading out like a future first and maybe a couple of seconds to move back into the first round, whatever it was specifically. I have to think they could have done it. I believe they could have done it. And the fact they didn't uh, definitely peeves me a little bit. That's fair. Um, I, I think that um, it's tough to know exactly what kind of deals might have been out there. Um, I don't know if, or, or you know, if they uh, if they liked a guy. Um, but I think it's fair to say that it's definitely a higher impact. Um, but without, I wasn't a move like, or I guess since it's a non-move, that's part of the reason I wasn't thinking about it that way. But I think it's totally fair for you to include it. 
Um, the other thing I'll say is like I I don't usually like judging non moves the same way because it's, it can be tough to understand what was actually available to them. But if it was the case that you know if they could have moved Obi for those two seconds before the draft, right? Or if they could have um, or if they could have you know or, or moved into the second for by trading Obi and then maybe use cash or something to even to get into the second round, I think would have been beneficial. <clears throat> so I definitely agree with you that that was not great. Um, especially given the fact that, you know, it was one thing to not trade into the first, but this is a team that's shown the ability to draft well in the second round, not just buying a second round pick in a pretty deep draft when a, you've shown that you're pretty good at that. And B you're now coming up on, you know, a lot of these guys who you've, you've outperformed in part because you do have guys playing like starters who are on, on rookie deals, right? Quickly, Grimes. Until this year, RJ's extension hasn't even kicked in yet, right? Um, I mean, it will this year. Uh, you had Mitch on a rookie deal. Now these these are no longer the case. So you're going to need to restock the, the kind of talent uh, which you've been good at, but now now those guys are no longer going to be on rookie deals. So I definitely agree with you that that was uh, that was something you should have done. My fifth worst pick, though, my fifth worst uh, move that I in my list is drafting Trevor Keels. It's tough to like. It's tough to. It's it is tough to say that. Um, and like, if I think that it's fair to, for you to say that, you know, the impact of actually having another pick this year would have been better. And like, it's it's probably I can see the wisdom of saying that. Not giving yourself more shots at the more lottery tickets, if you will, um, is worse than just happening to miss on one because nobody gets all their draft picks right. That's fine. Um, and so, I, in rethinking, it, I can definitely see where you had five. But I, I had Keels as the. It's like one of the. I, I wouldn't even say the Ob pick was a miss, although it is on my list. Um, but it just it it, it it never seemed to make much sense. Um, he played the same position as a lot of guys. They have a, they have literally a prospect who they cannot bring over because they have so many guards. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was an agent favor or something. Uh, and there were some guys. There's a guy named Josh Minow. There's Kendall Brown out of Baylor. Uh, there are guys of an archetype that, and this is part of that theme, but there's an archetype they haven't been able to bring, really. It's like that long... Um, versatile wing, right? Well, they, they, um, they tried. Tr- they tried. <laughs> that is on the list too. Um, but um, but that's that was a that was a pick that was screaming for that. And to go with Keels, that was a real head scratcher. And he's already off the roster. Um, you know, I'm not. Uh, I hold on. Sorry. Yeah, I really don't understand why they took Trevor Keels. Um, <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, that was, that's number five. Yeah, I I'm looking at the draft. It's like, okay, there's you know, you said Josh Minot, um for people that like Kendall Brown last year as a, as a long shot guy. Oh, yeah. Um, there are a few. I mean, it's it was those but at least if they had taken one of those guys, it, I think yeah, it's, finding it's, some it's, of that it's archetype like, at least right. would have made more sense. And like they yeah, wouldn't and, have cut them because yeah. Yeah, and you and you took Deuce last the year before as well, so it's like, do we really need another? And you signed. You, they clearly knew at that point they were going to sign Jalen Brunson, right? Like you knew your guard rotation was pretty stacked. They had drafted Grimes the year before as well, and they obviously, I mean, they went as far as allegedly. I mean, we we don't need to parse through what it means, but like he was untouchable for Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, like you knew you had all these guards and kind of wings, and where the hell was Trevor Keel's role? Like, I agree. I I never really understood that pick. Um, 
obviously he's already gone. So it's like, and, and look, there's, it, is this stuff kind of a reach? Sure. But like, look, I mean, there's a guy like, for example, um, Julian Champagne, uh, I think he got a contract now with the Spurs, right? He was an undrafted guy. Uh, AJ Green, he, not, not the wide receiver, uh, a basketball player, but he got a contract with the Bucks this summer. And like, these are guys that were shooting guards, wings, whatever, small forwards, that maybe you could have taken a shot on yourself if you were the Knicks, and instead you took a shot on a guy who, again, like, I agree with you. He just never made much sense here. So, I mean, I, I was debating putting him on here. I just, he didn't quite make the cut, just like his weight. Um, all right. <laughs> Number four. Uh, I'll let you go first on this. Number four, I had um, the Cam Reddish trade. Um, I get why they had already taken four rookies. Um, at the time, I, it made a lot of sense. Cam Reddish was a guy. Um, I think if you if you look at the way a lot of people talk about him, you know, I think there are a lot. There is a lot of respect among trainers um, and among people close to the NBA about his work ethic and those kind of things. There's and his skill set. So I get the move, but. Um, and, and since they got a second back, it wasn't as, you know, as, as bad. But you trade out of the first, and then they couldn't – what happened with Cam was <clears> – I don't think it's really hurt them. I think people – you know, when you when it's happened at multiple teams, um, you know, you're not going to um, – when it happens with multiple teams, like, people start to realize, okay, he's the common denominator. So I don't think it's, like, reflecting poorly on them as a front office. But, um, you know, it, it definitely added to that narrative like, about Tibbs not helping young players. Um, and the fact is, I would rather probably have that first-round pick. Um, and uh, so, sorry, I'm kind of lumping it all in. So I'm saying trading out of the first round um, and then using that to trade for Cam Reddish. And then after that, having to use that for Josh Hart, which, you know, like that whole sequence. Uh, I like the, jo- the Josh Hart move, but the reality is if we had kept that first-round pick, at 19 and taking a guy like Jalen Johnson, um, you know, maybe, maybe that would have lightened the price this year. Maybe it wouldn't have, I don't know. Um, but that just, so how they manage that 19th pick, uh, in a draft where again, I get it. They took four different guys. Um, three have already been, have played, um, significant minutes at some point. Uh, and the, the fourth is killing it in Europe. So I get that. And they can't even, they don't have room for him. Um, but in terms of an asset management, it was an L. Like it's tough for me to to see that otherwise. They that that pick ended up basically being a waste. So. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I guess. Um, I, I well, I had Cam too, and I guess let me talk about what I had for. Did you break up those Cam. two moves, or did you take them all? Too? Like, no, I I just put. I said the Cam Reddish trade, and all of it kind of goes into that, but. Uh, number four, I had bringing back Alfred Payton. Um, I think that was a terrible move, and it was terrible because. I mean, didn't because, they pay him like six million a year though? Like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a big deal in in terms of fine in the finances, but like, he just took so many minutes that year that really would have been equally as productive if we gave them to Frank, um, and would have been a lot more productive if we just gave quickly the, the shot to start and um or even rose it, by the way like i, I yeah think or even i rose. agree i like rose up the bench but yeah i would have just and quickly fit so well with randall too right 
that year. Yeah, I just I I don't understand that. Uh, I'll never understand that. And the fact that like they let it persist throughout the season, and eventually like it ended up exactly being exactly what all of us said, right? Like you're gonna get to the playoffs, and nobody's gonna defend him. And within like five minutes, basically, Tibbs was like, "Okay, you're done." And it was like, well, yeah, no fucking shit. Like, we all knew this was going to happen. And it was stupid because because you knew this was going to happen. This was something that you should have worked out in the regular season and been prepared for. And instead, you're sitting there in the middle of a fucking playoff series trying to figure out how now you want to adjust your guard minutes and, and your rotations and all this shit. And it was a fucking disaster. It was a shit show. Uh, he was always a stopgap. And for some reason... We treated him like a guy who we had to show this immense respect for and start the entire season, which was a joke. Like, they could have fucking waived him after the trade deadline. Oh, you couldn't trade him? Okay, fine. Wave his ass. I don't give a shit. Like, it, it would have been fine to me. I would have much rather seen Frank play the token 10 minutes a half if that's really what we wanted out of that role since Randall was doing the initiating anyway. And, like, you know, they Frank also had another guy player. who played 4,000 minutes at point guard the following year. I would right. have minded I mean, that, Point Burks that year, right? As the yeah. backup to, or you know, like, or even with that starting lineup with Randall playing well. Um, well, I mean, honestly, isn't that that actually like makes the makes it even more egregious because it's like, well, the next year you started Burks a point. Why the fuck couldn't you do that 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 year? You know, why why couldn't you do it that year? And and let's not forget for the people that are like, well, you no, know, Tibbs he likes his nine man rotation. They played a fucking ten man rotation that year. They played a ten man rotation that year. So like, he could have just. Taken Burks, or he could have just taken Payton out, started Burks, played a nine-man rotation, which apparently is now like, oh, Tibbs loves the nine-man rotation. Okay, well, he didn't fucking love it that year for some reason. So I, I think the out thing was a disaster. It's we're fortunate, and and maybe fortunate is a strong word, but it's good that it did not derail us long term. I don't think. I mean, you can even argue it did derail us long term because. His unwillingness to even attempt to play quickly at starting point guard that year did ultimately shape, to some extent, and influence, to some extent, the decision to take a shot on Kemba Walker the following summer. And we know that the Kemba Walker deal, I don't want to say, I mean, it was a disaster. It was a small disaster, but it was a disaster. It's not but, in my top five, by the way. Yeah, it's not in my five. top five either. But it was a bad move. It was a move that backfired to the Knicks. And so, like, it, it just created these compounding things. And, and I think. You know, again, the original sin was bringing him back. And was it a huge deal in the grand scheme of things? Maybe not. Uh, but in that, in for that year, it was definitely bad. And um, I'm just happy he's fucking gone and we did not bring him back after that season. Yeah, the reason why I don't have, well, I think we have both talked a lot about just how frustrating <coughs> that season was for Elf starting. Um, I do think the fact that it was like a tiny contract, like I'm like, I think could they have leaned on Tibbs to say, dude, it's not fucking working? Because when they signed him, they had no idea that quickly was gonna, or they might have had an inkling, but you you don't take the 25th pick in the draft and say we're not gonna sign a vet point guard or have no one on the roster going into the season because um because we think this guy is gonna become Emmanuel quickly. When that became clear, could they have leaned on Tibbs? Sure. But that was also a new front office in its first year with a new coach. <clears throat> so I can see how that would have been awkward. I think they probably were all hoping, like, can you just get to that point? Um, in terms of long-term ramifications, I think it's easy to wonder 
let me ask you two questions. Um, one, if they had moved to Elf earlier in the year <coughs> and been able to adapt to that, um, one, do you think that would have changed the Hawks series? And two, do you think they would have the Hawks if Mitchell Robinson was healthy, even if they did everything else exactly the same? Maybe. Uh, I, I think they were going to lose that series even with Mitch. It would have been more competitive, that's for sure. Uh, this version of I think we, Yeah, I think so. I mean, he was really good that year, to be honest. But I still think like the lack of creation was a killer in that series, and we just didn't have a guy that, that could do it. Ro- Rose did it for like two and a half games before he was like, yeah, so my body is pretty much done here, Bell. Um, so I just think they were they they didn't have the horses to win that series. Um, so yeah, but my number three uh, was the Cam Reddish trade, and I think you could argue this is the worst move because I think it laid bare some internal squabbles in the organization. I think it showed a lack of the organization being on the same page. It obviously made it clear that Tom Thibodeau would not play ball just because the front office thought a thing um, and that you would need to do a little bit more, uh, let's say, politicking to get his to get him to acquiesce. And then on top of it, like, you're right. The f- initial trade, right, 19 for a protected future one, whatever, wasn't great. And uh, look... Uh, they still did well in that draft, so I think on aggregate you still should be okay, happy with what they did. But like, that was a pretty—I don't want to say totally loaded draft, but there was there were good players still on the board. Um, they obviously picked one in Grimes, but there are still good players available on the board. Rollins Highland. They, yeah, well, well said good <laughs> players, not not players you like. Uh, but like, they turned that into a protected first. Fine. They turned the protected first into Cam Reddish. And then they had no clear avenue to get Cam Reddish minutes. And Cam and Reddish just ended up not being very good. Like yeah, that's part he of it. Wasn't very, yeah, he wasn't very good. Tom Tibido never cared for him, which is pretty obvious. And And neither, by he, the way, has any other coaches played for in the pros to be right. like Portland didn't resign him, right? Right. So. And and that's what it is. And and I just think, like, the fact that he was kind of part of this mass rotation change in the middle of this season that, once it was implemented, helped turn the next season around speaks volumes, I think, about, one, him and how negative he was on his minutes on the floor. But two, um, I think... It was an example of, the, I think they learned from that mistake. And not just the front office, I think Tibbs too, like they had to get on the same page. And he was part of that kind of, that cost. Like he, he was thrown to the wayside to help bring a semblance of order to the next season and to help this team get back on track. And so, like, ultimately, obviously, he goes out and more or less he's just salary filler for Josh Hart. So they at least were able to turn his salary, his dead salary at that point into a productive player who obviously is now a long-term piece for them. But like, it doesn't change the fact that trading for him was a fucking, I mean, it was just a terrible move all around. Like the, the cost was the, the initial acquisition of the asset used to get him was a disaster or not a disaster, but stupid. Then what they 
pivoted that asset into in terms of using him to get cameraish was a fucking disaster. And then the entire like just dealing with Cam Reddish and his fucking stupid stands was also a disaster um, for me mentally. <laughs> um, but like, but but yeah, it just it was a it was a bad move. I think it it maybe though if, if you want to say like what what came what good came out of it, I think they learned from it. They learned that you probably like, just because some people in your organization like a guy, if you don't have a path to give him a role and you don't have buy-in from your coach, and you don't have like the ability to kind of take the lumps required to potentially get the reward at the end of it, which is ultimately the problem with Cam, right? Is like you can still see the flashes, you still see the talent, but do you have the patience and the wherewithal to sacrifice a hundred a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand minutes of him being a negative player to potentially get the reward of him morphing into the type of wing you're hoping to land? And you're hoping that he becomes, and they didn't have it, and they like, and and that um, I do think they've learned from that, and I think in some ways that shaped some of the 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 decisions to go after guys like Brunson and Hartenstein, who were proven commodities and already impactful, positively impactful NBA players at that point, and I think it also shaped their decision to shorten the rotation. Um, on this, in December when they did, and it also shaped their decision to go after guys like Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo. So, um, I think they've learned from it. And I think they're a better organization from it because of it. But um, just because you learn from your mistake doesn't mean it wasn't a fucking mistake. Yeah, that's of course this exercise. Um, the what I will say also, I wonder if if there are you know we've talked about this before, but like Leon Rose has, you know, he is a guy. He's not like. There's no, I mean, he's obviously a specialty contracts. He's an agent, but he's not like a, a basketball lifer, right? Who, who has his own, he, he weighs, you know, he's got Aller on one side, he's got Wes, he's got, you know, Perrin, um, and I'm sure many other voices, right? Um, and I do wonder, you know, in his mental calculations, you know, the, you, when you're new at this, there are some guys you're going to trust sometimes and other guys you're going to trust other times. And as he gets more data points, part of that learning process is that, you know, there might have been guys who were against the camp trade maybe those guys are starting to be valued a little bit more, right? Um, you have to say, it looks like analytics played at least some part in, in the heart trade <coughs> um, and the DiVincenzo signing. Maybe those guys are starting to have more of a voice. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely agree there. Um, I will say this, right? Um, I'll, I'll talk to my number three. Getting back to the elf thing, though, um, do you think, I mean, I, I think that if you're going to, I guess because of the cost is where I disagree. And like, I will say one move that I think we didn't talk about. I just think Alec Burks is a great value signing for them. Right. And we're going to talk about them giving five or $6 million to help. Um, So I think that kind of mitigates it for me too, a little bit because we didn't give them credit for that. And, you know, in that year when they were sending out all these small deals, they probably didn't think that anyone would be guaranteed anything. Uh, But in that note, one other guy they signed that year who I was fine with them signing that year uh, for I think also five million dollars, but you is my third worst move here. Uh, is Nolan's Noel the extension after the first oh, year? Man. Um, I just I, I really wanted to put this put this in here, but I was just like I've just I shit on Noel way too much. While you just slipped through like, your hands. Yeah, he slipped through my hands, and also I just like I just couldn't do it. I was just like this guy's taking it off fucking L's 
Uh, and and honestly, like the fact that I think they pivoted off him so fast, I just couldn't do it. But it's a fair one to put in here. I'll say that. Well, they. I mean, I did not put the trading out of the first round. I think I would assume, right, right. or sorry, for the Brunson thing. But if they if they don't do things like sign Noel, if they didn't do the thing, and not only they had lost the thirteenth pick, it do, it does kind of suck that they had to just dump Alec Burks. Like he's a good player. Like was he misused? Yes. Do I think he should have? Um, again, like if they didn't do what my number one move is, which I think you're probably starting to guess what that is, maybe we could have had Burke starting next to quickly in his second year, right? Mm-hmm. But, but this Noel deal was part of that summer where they spent a lot of you put in Kemba or, um, you know, I, I, um, or you didn't put in Kemba, but like that was part and parcel of that. And Noel was just a complete waste. He barely played. Um, they ended up drafting a pretty damn good big behind him and, and or Jericho Sims, who I would have at one point last year, it was definitely like just play him. Um, I would have preferred Randall at the five um, pretty early in that season to, to Noel just to see what you got with him at OB. Um, and obviously that had a lot of reactions. So between probably forcing them to, to, to get less value or, you know, being part of that trading out of the first round at 13th pick, um, probably having to dump Alec Burks. Um, and even maybe having some impact on roster issues, um, you know, in terms of Randall and Obi, uh, that's why I had Noah's Noel at number three. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, and then number two, the second worst move, it feels really harsh. Um, this guy, I mean, look, this the eighth pick has not historically always been very kind um, to the Knicks. I am not one of the people, as many listeners of these podcasts will know, um, even though Schwinn loves Halliburton, I personally do not think Halliburton is the second coming, so this is not where that's coming from. Um, I think if I did it all over again, there's a strong case for myself. But the second worst move, and I think it's tied to how he was handled, is drafting Obi Toppin. Um, There were multiple players, including on his own team, who ended up being significantly better. there were like, yeah, it's fair to say a lot of other teams passed on Maxi, but it's not like he wasn't on their radar. Um, obviously, Halliburton, yes, it's it's fair to say now it w- he would have been a much better pick to sell. Um, and you know, and, got, and guys at positions that uh, the Knicks could have used, uh, Bain, obviously, right? Desmond Bain was there. Um, so you know, it feels, and I hate doing it because I really loved watching Obi play, he was a positive impact player, period. Um, really after the second half of his rookie year, um, in a, you know, in a specific role. But uh, I really, you know, the joy he played with, the fact that he never really made much of a fuss at all. Um, you know, you have seen other players leave the Knicks, like Cam did it, um, and, you know, kind of trash the org. Obi has been a class act. I mean, I'm sure beyond the convers- behind the scenes he had those conversations. Uh, and it probably helps that his um, agent was Leon Rose's son. So I really hate to do that. And, and he's had some, I mean, the loudest moment, I've ever been at Madison Square Garden for was his alley-oop in game two um, of the, the Hawks series. Um, and the floor was shaking. And um, I, I, even game three I went this year, um, it never got that loud. But I have to say, given the opportunity Nice, cost, nice flex. Nice flex. <laughs> given oh, yeah, the opportunity. Uh, when I was at the playoff games. Uh. <laughs> yeah. The, the Quickly's best playoff performance this year, by the way, I was there. So the Knicks yeah, well, Maybe you should have fucking... Maybe you should have gone to more games. <laughs> that was, <clears throat> that was, um, I did not, um, let's just say I didn't pay for it. So, um, 
like the NBA playoffs are like sex. So that's that's just okay. um, <laughs> no. Um, so the point is like yeah, like it it is what it is. They haven't missed on a lot of moves. So that's part of the reason it's high. But they out of the eighth pick, they ended up that ended up turning into a bench player who was traded for two seconds. That's that is a failure at the end of the day. Yeah, um, I will say I think you know I talked about their ability to get like you know kind of foster good relationship with players, and they've gotten quid pro quo kind of uh, concessions from them. As a result, I do think stuff like I'm not saying they traded Obi to Indiana just because it was a good fit for him, but I do think that was probably part of like, hey, let's do this guy solid. Um, they have a bunch of CAA guys over in Indiana, by the way, more than the Knicks do. Um, if Mark Berman's listening or interested <laughs> or, you know, whatever he does in retirement, hopefully drinking a lot of pina coladas. Um, but like, yeah, so I, okay, I'll just do my two and one. I actually had the Obi thing one, so I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want to say number two first because I'm assuming this is probably your number one. Uh, my number two is the Evan Fournier contract. Um, just been, I don't think it's, it hasn't ended up being a huge deal because of some of the good things they have done that have been able to offset the fact that they're getting basically nothing from an $18 million a year player. Um, but, he was serviceable for a year. I mean, yeah, he's serviceable the for whole, a year. The three point made thing is a little bit overblown because he was a bad defender, but it's, this hasn't been just like a Kemba thing where he just was completely useless off the bat. But. Right. Yeah. But he's become very useless. He was obviously useless last year, even though he did have a fun game against Philly and dropped maybe the quote of the year after that game. Um, but like, he's just, uh, he's, he's just trade filler at this point, right? He's just salary filler for a trade inevitably, hopefully maybe one day. Um, they haven't been able to find one yet because they haven't been able to figure out a guy to use his salary to aggregate for, but like that is ultimately all he is at this point. And you know, uh, the fact that they drafted Grimes and they drafted quickly and, uh, that they were able to trade for Josh Hart and obviously get Brunson all this stuff has offset the fact that he's not been anything close to what they anticipated, but he hasn't been anything close to what they anticipated. And honestly, one of the frustrating parts about it is that like Burks was better, you know, they didn't even like, ultimately you probably just shouldn't have even signed Fournier and just rolled back with Burks or like brought back fucking Bullock. If you really wanted to bring somebody back. And if they did that, they probably would have had to start quickly. Right. So you don't, you never have, you don't, you also don't kill Burks by having him play point guard and, Four thousand minutes, right? So, right, that would have yeah, had enough effect there too. Right. So, I just think that that movie was a complete disaster, and it's not just that it's 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 been such a zero value move. Like, there's been absolutely nothing we've gained from it, like at all. They really just and now some negative publicity too, right? Right. So, I, I think that's the, I had that as the second worst move, but the first worst move was I just a draft and development of OB because. I won't kill them in terms of like just analyzing the draft at the time. I don't think it's fair to just be like, well, they never had a plan for Obi. They had a plan for Obi. The plan involved Julius Randle not being an all NBA all star caliber player, which he's been in two of the three years since we drafted Obi. And he was right off the bat, obviously. And, um, but even adjusting for that, like, he was never prioritized by this coach. He was never given a real opportunity by this coach. They did not aggressively carve out 
an opportunity for him. The fact that they even added a center last year, right, in free agency, they added Hartenstein, made it even more difficult for him to get minutes. They never experimented with him at the three. They never experimented with him at the five. They did not make it a thing for Tibbs to have to play him more than he did because guess what? Tibbs never did. And um, at the end of the day, like they ended up trading him for a very, very minimal return. And while I'm sympathetic to why there are some mitigating factors as to as to how it kind of unfolded the way it did, it still unfolded that way. Like you don't get just because you made the bat the best of a bad situation and a situation that quite frankly, like had long run over like long run its course. Um, it doesn't make it good. It's the worst move. It was the eighth overall pick. It's the highest pick they have had at their disposal. Uh, it was a pick where there are multiple players who I think would have benefited this team. If you want to say Halliburton, sure. If you want to say Devin Vassell, go for it. I know you, you want don't say, want to say Halliburton. Yeah, if you want to say Tyrese Maxey, sure. Like there, there are Bain, guys. Quickly, you know, right? Bain, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I understand like the Bain quickly thing. Like, okay, they weren't going to go eighth overall, and I know that Maxey ended up going twenty first. But like, Maxey was in conversations. Maxey was in top ten conversations. All yeah. So, so like, I don't really find it wrong to throw that out there. But like, yeah, they just they just made a bad pick, and um, you know, I I don't think it totally fucks them over and, and caps their ceiling and but it is a missed opportunity to acquire top end talent and it's the best opportunity at least in the draft that they've had as far as draft position goes and for the hopefully uh the way we're projecting this team moving forward will be the highest opportunity they have to draft somebody for a while so, um, yeah, I think it's fair to ding that as the worst single move of the Leon Rose era, given the lack of return on the investment and, um, you know, the opportunity that was had at acquiring top-end talent that they basically fucked up. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say when you, when you look at, like, you can, I had Fournier's contract at number one, um, but the opportunity cost of those $18 million still probably isn't as high as, yeah, like you said, some really high-end talent they could have had, right? Um, I will say kind of the reason... So the reason why I didn't put Obi as number one, one, I didn't have the heart to do that. I, I'm going to root for the kid in Indiana. Um, he's, he's been... Oh, I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be really good in Indiana. Uh, well, I'm going to get to that in a second. I, but I, he has been one of, like, the culture setters, right? I mean, I think the culture has changed on the Knicks. You know, the, there's genuine happiness guys who love to work really hard and they're really friendly, and he was a big part of that. I'm sure, like, guys like Quickly and RJ, like, they're really sad to see him go. Um, and he was just, he's a fun guy to watch, so I didn't have the heart to put him at number one. Um, the other thing I will say, though, is this. Um, I do kind of fault probably the talent evaluation part more than the development part there, um, because I think that a lot of the, you can kill tips for this. I am very curious to see, in Indiana, everyone's talking about, oh, the transition game with him and Halliburton and Heald is going to be crazy, right? What do all three of those guys have in common? And I, I get it. I think you're higher on Obi's defense than I am, but the fact of the matter is he's at best a one-position defender, um, doesn't really have a lot of switchability, and even at that, like, you know, like the one thing he can do on defense is he's going to try hard, and he jumps really high. 
But, you know, he doesn't, he's a 6'9 guy who doesn't have the flexibility to play the five. The three point shot has been coming along. Um, but on offense, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how much they allow him to do stuff with the ball in his hands because he struggles, I think, to really blow by guys, right? Like, we haven't, or he, he struggles kind of with the creation and, like, he's flashed some ball handling ability, but it's not like he's a guy, you know, who's going to do a lot of that stuff. I think he's going to be really good in transition. I think he'll get up to 25 minutes a year. But I do think the ceiling was always a bit capped on what that pick could be unless he turned into a great three-point shooter. Uh, and that's probably partly because I'm just not as high on his defense and his versatility there. I do agree. I would, like, they should have, certainly in that last season, he should have gotten way more minutes. And when he got minutes, you saw that, like, he can, he can make an offensive impact. But in terms of being a high-end talent, I just, I never saw that. Um, so that's why I fault the kind of, and, and because now that he's a big who isn't a great value add on defense, those players are always a little bit tough to build around, but you know, playing next to Isaiah Jackson, playing next to Miles Turner might help him out. And you know, Turner himself is a stretch five. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so I, I do fault the talent evaluation part of that, but I still have Fournier number one because Obi at the end of the day has contributed quite a bit. He really went on a tear after they benched Randall and when he started getting more minutes at the, at the lost middle season, um, he, he played playoff minutes. He had a game where he had four for 11 from three again in the Miami series. That's pretty damn good. Um, you know, amidst everyone talking about he needs to attack the rim, I was like, well, if you told it, like if you told me at the start of his career he's going to shoot four for 11 in a three point game against the Eric Spolster, sorry, in a, in a playoff series against Eric Spolster team, I would have been pretty happy with that. So he has been a positive contributor, whereas Fournier hasn't hasn't in any meaningful sense. He set the, the three-point record. He gave them minutes during a lost season. I think he's probably a good locker room guy. It seemed like he was well-liked. Uh, but Obi has at least given you something. But on the flip side of that, I do get your point that like ultimately the opportunity cost of what we could have done with that Fournier money probably isn't as high as what we missed out on with make, with being better value than you think. So I, I see that part of it too. And and also like even if like what could the eighth pick have gotten them in trade? You know, like who knows? Like could that have gotten them Zach Levine at the time? I don't know. Maybe like could it have got like I I don't know. But there's just so many avenues. I mean, I think like look at it at a very basic level, right? Tyrese Halliburton was traded for an All Star, two time All Star at the time, straight up in a trade. Like I'm not saying it works well, out the same way. Too, right? But yeah, right, yeah. But, like, Heald is a negative contract at that point. Um, but, like, either way, the point is more like, it's obviously not going to work out the exact same way, but you just, there's so many things that you could have done with that pick or what that pick could have turned into, and, and it just ends up being kind of two, a, a second in 2028 and a second in 2029 is just very, very unappealing as the return and kind of frustrating. Um, so, yeah. All right, I think the I think we summed up uh, our thoughts on the Leon Rose tenure so far. What grade would you give them if you give them, if you're going to give Leon a grade first time so far? Yeah, I'd probably B plus or A minus. I could see both of those. Um, wow. I think there's there, but there's a lot of upward and downward mobility based on the next year or two. So um, it's still it's I think also still fair at some point. This I don't think you can give them an incomplete. They did the most important thing which is to bring a star. That's, by the way, that's one thing where it's like, well, Jalen Brunson doesn't count. Like, they he, they got him because of the godfather relationship. Bullshit. One, the whole reason why Leon Rose was supposed to 
be this guy who could get a superstar was his relationships. This was one. You don't get to just throw it out. And two, yeah, he's on the best contract in the league for what he gives you. Um, that alone can, to me, can give him an A minus, considering he hasn't done anything debilitating. Um, but they're not all the way there, and there are some things they're going to have to play in an interesting way, as we were talking about before. Um, so I'd probably average it out to B plus, but I can definitely see the argument for an A minus. Yeah, no, um, I think that's fair. So, all right, that is our pod for today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Um, you can find me at Stacy Patton eighty nine. Um, uh, what I'll plug is um, if you haven't seen it yet, Presidente did a very thorough um, breakdown of um, RJ Barrett's mechanics. Um, we tweeted it out on the site account. Uh, you can just check it out on YouTube. Um, and you know, now that you're watching these FIBA games, uh, you know it's some helpful. It's helped me really kind of watch watch his shot as well as I watch these games. Uh, and then the last thing I'll plug is, um, you know, if you are a fan, I would imagine a lot of you watching are fans of Matt Miranda, um, who is collecting some of his work for submission. So if there's any articles that you really liked of his that you remember, um, definitely share them with him. I think he would he would love to hear that feedback and uh, and get that, that insight as well. So I'll, I'll plug that as well. Nice. Uh, you can find me... Uh... In St. Louis, rolling on dubs. Um, <laughs> there's like, there's you only need more of a draw for that. <laughs> yeah, there's only going to be like, there's only going to be like ten people that that understand what that reference is, and none of them will be Zach or Tyrese. Who'll be like, what is that song? Never heard That's of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> is that Rakim? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I had a good plug. Uh, so I'm just going to plug all the wonderful work at Strickland. Uh, check it out. Tanner Kranz just dropped a wonderful piece today on the rise of French talent uh, in the NBA today. And uh, definitely worth everybody's time checking that to, to check that out. So please give that a read and give Tanner a follow uh, on Twitter at Tanner Kranz. All right, that is our pod for today. I hope everybody has a great week. And this pod would not be possible without Bet Online, the best and greatest sponsor of all time. Again, that is our show for today. Uh, I hope everybody has a great week. And I will see you on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.